Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This is the Stolen Goodbyes podcast with me, Karen Rice. This is being recorded remotely due to the COVID-19 restrictions. I'm joined today by Sally Gardner, who lost her husband to COVID-19. Trevor Gardner, who was 59 in April this year. Welcome, Sally. Hi. Can you take me back to uh, the moment that you met him? Yeah, we, we met at our work two years ago in 2018 and we became best friends from there and then last year we was both going through bad relationships and we just went out for a drink one one day um, when everything was all ending and then we just knew that we needed to be together we I hadn't realized but he he knew a long time before that that he actually fancied me but never said and we went out for a drink. We had our first kiss and then that was it really. It was signed, sealed and delivered. Within uh, a month of um, dating, we was engaged and we booked our wedding for last December, which we had on the 16th of December, which was also my late brother's birthday. So we wanted to make it a joyous and memorable occasion. And how, how was the wedding? Oh, the wedding was amazing. He gave me the fairy tale wedding. Um, just like our life, really, because you know it was we lived full on together. We was never apart, because um, obviously we worked together as well. He moved in with me, and um, we got married at Leeds Castle. So we had a big fairy tale wedding. And your plans for the future at that point? Plans for the future was we wanted to carry on doing what we were doing. We were looking to possibly get in our own business. And moving away we had looked to move up north we did find a house but at the time we couldn't get the mortgage so then we decided we'd stay down here and then look to try and do a business together down here and just carry on doing what we enjoyed doing which was always going out sightseeing just going on road trips all over the place and going out on a motorbike because we used to enjoy that together as well we just enjoyed being in each other's company and going out all the time was is there a particular trip that stands out for you our favorite ones um was Bournemouth we love Bournemouth um we went there quite a few occasions for different things and our last visit there was for his birthday I took him there for his birthday so I'd booked a surprise room in this beautiful hotel on facing the sea view and everything else that was one of our favorite places to visit what was his most lovable quality isn't one of I just love everything about him there was not one thing I could pick that I loved the most because he was just so full of everything you know these whole his whole being was just everything there's not one thing I could say I love more <laughs> and on a daily basis is there anything that you really miss about him I just miss all of that he is and was because he just filled and made my life complete just by being in the room with me and we could just sit in 
the same room and not say anything to each other, but we'd still be able to be speaking to each other and not have to say a word. But we laughed so much. We always made each other laugh and we was always playing pranks on each other and teasing each other. So I do miss the laughter and I just miss his love so much because he just loved me so much. And he was forever telling me, doing little things, buying me little things, writing me letters. Um, yeah, it was... Uh, there's just so many things that he did to make my life so complete. Is there any um, particular saying of his or a phrase or a nickname? Yeah, I had a few nicknames. <laughs> when he would be teasing me, he would just call me, all right, princess, I'll do it. And uh, that's if he was making a cup of tea or something and I hadn't got up to make one. The rest of the time, we used to call each other babes all the time. And when we used to tease each other, it was just one of them things that go, all right, babes. And he'd go, no, babes. And that was it. And that would start. And, the, well, we had the other things he would say is, that, really? Is if you did something that you, you, you know, he'd caught you out doing or something like that, that would be one of his things he'd say. And the other thing that he used to say was, well, we'll just leave it there then, yeah? <laughs> so especially when he was, like, messing about or we had a conversation and then he was like, I'm having the last word. We'll just leave it there. <laughs> Obviously, the wedding was amazing. Did you honeymoon? Yes, we did. We had a beautiful honeymoon. He took me to Venice. We went there for 10 nights and it was truly amazing. We enjoyed it so much. We were there for the, when it was flooded. So we had that with the wellies and everything else. And then once it stopped flooding, it was then the drought. So the water was like so receded. So when we went on a gondola ride, it was the day before we were coming home. We left it till the end because he was he's scared about water. He didn't like water very much. So uh, it was one of our last things that we did. And it was so low, the water. It was a little bit, little bit scary because you think, oh, God, you can see the bottom, you know. But, um, yeah, no, it was, it was amazing. Do you recall Harry proposed? Or did you propose? Yeah. I, I, I proposed to him. And we had, a, we, the first thing, we, we had a little conversation. I said, well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to go out with you until I know that, you know, you're in it for keeps. I said, because I can't be messed about anymore. And he went, well, never say never. Um, and then we was out for dinner one day and he went, I really want to marry you. I want to make you my wife. I was like, oh yeah, okay, come on then, let's go. And then he got down on, it, we went and chose our rings. And then he got down on one day in front of my best friend and she did video it I don't know if she's still got the video I don't think she's I think she's lost it but uh, she videoed him getting down on one knee and asking me to marry him and then uh yeah that was that <laughs> how did that feel oh it was amazing just amazing I couldn't believe how how lucky I was to have found him and just to have such a beautiful kind and gentle man and that gave me the world just completed me and I completed him what date was your marriage Sally it was a Monday 16th of December because we worked together and we're in the public eye um, we both started to feel unwell he was finally sent home on the Monday which would have been the 22nd of March and I was sent home on the 12, uh, 23rd when lockdown happened so that was only, um, only months after you had got married yeah yeah and I'd started feeling really poorly um you couldn't put your finger on it to start with I'd had little symptoms but there was nothing 
that you'd think well, there was anything you you just didn't feel well we, we both just thought well I just don't feel right but you couldn't say there was anything wrong mm-hmm. and then um, my throat started to get really bad and then I couldn't swallow and it was so painful called the GP and stuff and I've got and I've got the antibiotics and they took a full five days before I started to get any uh, relief from that but I lost all my taste and smell and everything and I had all of the symptoms but I didn't have a really high temperature but I had a temperature for me I didn't have the sickness or anything but then I was I was slowly getting better I was out of breath a bit but not severely then Trevor started to feel severely unwell so we had one week at home laying on the sofa and then he took to his bed so we'd been out of work one week so he he then took to his bed because he just couldn't get out of bed he was so so lethargic so tired and hurting all over his skin really hurt to touch so I couldn't touch him because it just hurt him just to even just you know touch him gently on the shoulder or anything um he had a really high temperature and he was just sleeping so much and he hadn't realized he'd been sleeping and then so and because he was diabetes type 2 I was then monitoring his temperature and his um, diabetes is checking him regularly making sure that I get the fluids up and everything else and trying to get him to eat making him things that was easy to eat because he felt so severely sick I never had sickness but he just found he couldn't eat because he just felt like he was going to throw up all the time and it was just something he couldn't get over so after about four days of that I called the well I called 111 and they sent the ambulance out on the Saturday and they said he just needs to eat um, his chest is fine. They did his breathing and his orbs on, obviously with the paramedic stuff. And they said he was fine and just he just needs to eat. Otherwise, he's going to put himself into a diabetic coma. So he forced himself on the Sunday to eat so much, and he did. But he had to lay down on his stomach to just eat as a, a half a jacket potato, and he'd had a, a boiled egg in the morning and stuff like that. And he drank so much as well, but he started to deteriorate every time he got up to go to the toilet. He was starting to get out of breath and then his cough started. I didn't like the way he was looking. Um, And then he's scared of hospitals and he'd said he he was worried if he goes into hospital, he's going to die and he won't come out. Obviously, I said, don't be silly. You're going to be fine. They've got all of the medication. They've got the oxygen and I think you just need oxygen. Um, and I haven't got that and I can't give you that so um, anyway on the Sunday night he went to the toilet um, I was just leaving him resting I'd just done all of his obs and stuff I recorded it like I was doing it every two to four hours he collapsed onto the toilet and uh, couldn't get off so I tried to help him but he was so proud he didn't want me to so I just sort of you know ran got a bowl so he could wash his hands on the floor and he, I couldn't get him to stand up, so he crawled back to the bedroom. He had to take it in such a long time. It felt like it took him like half an hour to get back there, but it probably wasn't. But it, it was just awful witnessing him just, you know, losing everything. I got him back into bed, um, and then he started to feel sick. And then he needed to go to the toilet again, but this time he couldn't even make to go to the toilet. So then that time I had to run downstairs, find a bottle for him so he could go to the wee. 
because he couldn't get there. And with at the same time, I'm then calling um, because the ambulance bloke said, you don't need to call us. You just call 111 unless you get seriously ill. And it made me think that I couldn't call the ambulance. But in the end, I just called the ambulance and said, you need to come. But I know he didn't want me to do that. So I was just still trying to run around, trying to make sure he was okay. And at the same time, not really telling him. But, uh, but then he said, uh, you need to call them. He said, I, I can't cope with this. So the ambulance came. They were lovely ladies. They checked him and they went, no, we've got to take you in. So with that, I started making him up a bag, put his phone and his charger in there and his wallet, thinking he might need some money. And then they just um, took him straight into the ambulance. I, I was following behind down the stairs of the bag and everything. But obviously I wasn't allowed to be close, so I never got to kiss him or cuddle him before he went into the ambulance. But he did manage to just stop and wave to me before he got in there because I think he also realised, hold on a minute, because I couldn't go, I wasn't allowed. Because obviously I'd just been ill myself as well, so and then nobody was allowed in at that time. Then when he got to the hospital uh, on the early hours of Monday morning, he had, had once he got the oxygen on, he felt so much better. He, he was hungry, he wanted to eat, and I was so optimistic. So was he. And then within a couple more hours after that, they'd then done the x-ray and said that they'd got something on his lungs. So with that, he started to panic and get upset because he said that they found something on my lungs. And obviously then I knew he, was, he had the COVID worse. But he said they're happy with my ops. They're putting me onto a ward. So, and they said normally they'd go straight on a ventilator when they go in at this particular time. So we was optimistic he went on the ward and he was doing okay for a few hours and then all of a sudden he needed more oxygen than the, the normal mask was giving him. So they then moved him to a CPAP ward and he was on that. And then all, all of Tuesday his, obs was, his temperature was going up and down and his obs was going up and down. But then they said, yeah, we just need to eat. He's not eating. And I said, well, can you not give him a drip? I said, I know he was struggling to eat because he was feeling so sick. And they said, we're giving him all of that medication. So he needs to just eat. I said, well, I'll speak to him and I'll tell him. I said, but I'm happy to make stuff that he can have and stuff. And then when I spoke to him, he, uh, he texted me late Tuesday night and he said, oh, they're really happy with my progress. They said, I'll be home in two weeks if I carry on the way I'm going. I said, oh, great, because I can't wait for you to be home. I miss you so much. So Sally, you were learning all of this information over the telephone. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, with texts and WhatsApp phone calls. Um, because in the end, he was struggling to text. So then we used to do WhatsApp calls as well. But then when he was on the CPAP mask, he couldn't speak because um, you can't talk or anything when you're on that. Um, so anyway, my last one, the last one of the last texts on the Tuesday night was that I'm going to go sleep now. Um, and yeah, it looks like I can be home in a couple of weeks if everything goes okay. I did say, can they put him onto a drip? And they said they were going to look at putting him onto a food drip so he didn't have the issue with the eating. And then Wednesday morning, um, I was trying to ring the hospital and then he WhatsApped me and said, I can't, because this time he was just put onto a normal oxygen mask. And I, I think I've got Texas as well, um, that he'd, uh, he'd messed himself and he can't, there's, there's no nurses around can I call them? And I said, well, I'm already on the phone. I'm you know, I'm waiting for someone to answer the phone. I'll get someone to you and I'll ring you back. So I did that, rung him back. 
this was about eight-ish or something like that in the morning. I spoke to him and uh, he, he said his throat and his tongue and everything had swollen up. He said no one was listening to him. He was trying to tell him last night, this is why I can't eat because it's so swollen, I can't swallow. I was like, well, you didn't tell me that. If you'd have told me that, I would have said to the nurses last night, you need to give him something for that. Anyway, when they came round to clean him, I watched them sponge his tongue. And with that, watching them do that, it just sent a fear of God into me of he's dying. Obviously, I never told him any of this. So, sorry, Sally, they, were you watching that for, on a video call or something? Yeah, on WhatsApp video, yeah. Um, so then we carried on texting for a little bit and I said right I'm just going to ring the hospital back uh, I want to get up an update on your overnights and stuff and I want to find out what's going on and then I was on the on hold and he rang me again he whatsapped me he said Sally you need to get a nurse I can't breathe my oxygen's run out and he was panicking because he couldn't breathe so I tried to calm him down just just to tell him take small breaths I'm ringing them I'm on the phone I will ring I will whatsapp you call you back just breathe as little as possible just you know take small breaths don't panic just try and keep calm I'll get them to you and uh, I rung the nurse and she said oh well, I'll get the nurse I said no you need to go and see to my husband he can't breathe he needs oxygen right now she said okay if there's no nurse there I'll, I'll gown up and I'll go in so then I, I rang him back on the whatsapp video and said to him, I said, she's coming. And he said, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I said, yeah, I know you can't, but you, you've just got to try and just take little breaths, just little breaths. She's on her way. She's got to put all of the stuff on, remember? She's on her way, she's coming. And then within a few minutes, she was there and she took off the oxygen mask and then put the CPAP mask on him. Um, and then he collapsed back onto the bed. And with that, I said, like, I'll, I'll leave you to rest. You just taking all that oxygen now. You've got the proper mask back on and I'll... I'll WhatsApp call you a little while. So he just waved goodbye. And within an hour, I got a phone call from the hospital to say that they were putting him on the ventilator. I didn't want him to go on the ventilator because I just had a fear if he was going to go on that, that he wouldn't come through it. But they said that he was, apart from his diabetes, he was a fit and healthy man and they fully expected him to come through it. It's just because he's needing so much oxygen. So that was on the Wednesday. So he went down on the Wednesday. His levels went up. So then they said, you know, he's not in a good way. And then on the Thursday, they said he's deteriorating. We don't think we should resuscitate him if he dies. I said, well, no, I, I, you can't give up on him. He's, he's not been in, you can't give up on him. So then they proned him. And then he then started to, proning was when they turned him on their front. So then he started to improve. All of his oxygen levels started to drop and stuff. And they needed to get it below 40% so that he could then start coming down off of the, as much oxygen and off and off the ventilator. He'd only been on it a couple of days at this time. And uh, then come the Saturday, they said to me, we don't think he's going to make the night. And uh, that's when my world crashed. Then, so I was living in fear then waiting for the call of he's not going to make it but he did he he came, he came through the saturday night so i'm like see you you've got it wrong he's he's turning for the better so they turned him again they they, they proned him three times in the end they did say they were going to try and get him to um, guy's hospital 
to put him on like a life support machine to rest his lungs because his lungs was full of COVID. Um, and the, what the problem was, it wasn't fluid. It was swelling. His lungs swelled up so much that they couldn't get oxygen in. So they said that yeah, that's what they were looking to do, but they wouldn't take him because his um, vitals was not in the right score bracket. So there was nothing that they could do. And I've just got to prepare that he's not going to last the night again. Um, but they did say that guys had told them to give him steroids for the swelling. But I was surprised that he hadn't already had them because he'd already said that his tongue and everything was already swollen. And then Sunday night happened. He made it through. And then we get to Monday. Um, by this time, they'd said he'd, he'd, he's really starting to get poorly. They're not gonna. They're not sure if if turning him over again is going to help. And I said, well, every time you've turned him over, he's gone in the right direction, and he's still hanging on. So can you do it again? So they said they were going to do it again, and then monitor it. So they did, but he didn't change. His oxygen levels were still ninety percent, one hundred percent ventilator. And then with that, my sister came over, because obviously at this particular time where everyone's in lockdown isolation. I was still in isolation because I'd had it, but my sister said, I can't have you there on your own. So she came over and stayed with me. And then the Tuesday came, 14th of April, and they said that he's, he's, he's now starting to deteriorate. It's affecting his kidneys now. Everything's starting to weaken and get affected. And again, they don't expect him to last the night. Be prepared. We're going to set the video call up now. So I got a video call with him. Uh, I could hear all of the machines and stuff in the background. I couldn't see him really properly. I just saw half of his head. I couldn't see his mouth and stuff or the rest of him. It wasn't close enough to see him very clearly. But I could see the tears rolling down his face when I was talking to him. Even though he was still in a coma, they said he could actually hear me. And every time I was speaking to him, his heart rate kept going up because he could hear me. All the time he was on the ventilator, I was sending him voice messages and playing him songs and singing him his songs. And every 11, 11, I kept playing our wedding song to try and give him some encouragement. And the nurses that was on, on the volunteers side were, were doing that for me. But um, when I had the video call, I didn't want him to know he was dying. But obviously, I think he knew because he was crying. And I was just telling him, you know, that he's doing so well. He's fought so hard and just to keep fighting and to remember our happy place walking along the beach in Bournemouth and remembering our wedding and everything else. And, you know, you're doing really well. I didn't want to tell him he was dying. And then that was the call. And then I had to wait another three hours for the call to come to say that he'd died. And I, know, I, I asked if a nurse would hold his hand and I asked for a priest to pray for him as well because I couldn't be there. I wasn't allowed to go in or see him or do anything. And then he died at 8.45 in the evening on the Tuesday. So within three weeks of being sent home from work, I'd lost my husband and we'd both had covid then after that, obviously, we had to then try and arrange the funeral and everything else. 
How did you feel, um, Sally, about the fact that you couldn't be with him, you couldn't hold his hand, touch him? Awful, because uh, we was never apart, and being apart from each other, it always hurt both of us, and not being able to text each other was something that we never did. We always kept in contact. Mm -hmm. So not being able to physically see him and speak to him even if it was on the video for you know the times that he was on the ventilator was hard but not being able to be there to comfort him and you know just hold him and to be able to kiss him and stuff it's just something i'm never going to be able to i'm never going to be able to get it back i'm never going to be able to recreate that part and i've got to live with the fact that i've never seen him because I'd never seen him since he went in the hospital. I'd never seen him physically since. So the last time I physically saw him, he, it, well, he wasn't well, but obviously, but it, he was walking with an oxygen mask on from house to the ambulance. So I just feel like it's all been stolen away from me and it could have been avoided. And at least being able to hold his hand, he would have known I would have been there and I would have talked to him and it might have helped and it would and he would have just felt a little bit more comfortable and it would have probably helped me it must be so hard for you to have found the love of your life you know to have the world with romance get married and then you know just four months later to have lost him in such circumstances and to go with yeah it's just so so hard to come to terms with i i struggle to still come to terms with it now I still think that he's going to come home They're doing the wedding tastings for the wedding breakfast and stuff like that um this is what we would have been doing this time last year and the, and the haunting thing is that it's his 60th birthday in November I haven't been able to have a wake for him so I now want to do that for him still as I was going to do but now it would be a celebration of his life rather than his 60th birthday. And then obviously I've got our first wedding anniversary to contend with and he's not going to be here for it. Plus it's on my late brother's birthday. So where it was meant to be such a memorious day to make it happier occasion, it's now a double tragedy. That's incredibly hard. Can you... Tell me what happened. Obviously, he passed. And what happened after that, Sally? Um, I was still having uh, problems. So I had to go to the hospital a week after he died. I had to go to the same hospital, walk through there, knowing he's in the mortuary, and have loads of tests done for myself. And I had to go on my own. That was hard. And then I collected his things. That was hard because then was his wedding ring and his engagement ring and his phone, which brought it home that he's not here because he wouldn't be without any of those. He never took his rings off apart from when he washed his hands. And he was such a clean person. We were both are clean people. We was constantly sanitizing. So that brought it home as well. I wasn't allowed to see him because they wouldn't embalm them. I could sit with his closed coffin, which was all I was allowed. I went to the chapel arrest to see him, but all I see was his coffin. I couldn't see him, so I don't even know he was in there. 
Oh, now he was obviously, but it was just too all surreal. Is normally when you lose somebody, even if it's a sudden accident or anything like that, you get to go and see them. You see their face. You get to touch the hands. I've never got to do that. Was always holding his hand. So I did ask if the funeral parlour would do a plaster cast of his hand for me, which they did. They don't do that normally. But I bought all of the stuff and took it to them and they made a plaster cast of his hand, which I need to try and preserve. But it just means I can still hold his hand. That's lovely. Can I ask what, what keeps you awake at night? The fact that he's not here, that my world has ended. My heart is shattered in so many pieces. And I just feel so robbed of the future of everything. And knowing that he's not here, he's not beside me. I still sleep on my side of the bed. And I put all of his, the little bit of clothes that I hadn't actually already washed uh, under his pillow. And then I make it look like he's there. <laughs> it's the only way I can. If you could go back and change anything what would it be it would have been to just not go in to work isolate if if we had the lockdown at the beginning of march he would still be here we wouldn't have got ill and i would have made sure he stayed in and how do you feel about the, gov the government handling of the crisis really really bad so there's just not enough words to convey how they have run all of this because we was watching it for weeks before if we'd have stayed at home from the beginning of March we wouldn't have been ill that's the only thing I would do differently I couldn't have done anything different than I did I've, I did everything I could to try and help my husband but um, obviously it's beyond my control and it was beyond his the only thing that we had in our control was not to have gone into work and risk losing our jobs and stuff. But our life and our future was obviously more important. And we didn't realise that it was going to take off so quickly with us anyway. What emotions are you left with now, day to day? I'm left with anger because it could have been avoided. A lot of people could have, could have been you know survived by this by not being exposed i'm left emotionally broken and empty just lost and alone struggling just to get through every day trying to find a focus on a future that i've now got to redo all again because i've got i'm only 45 so i've got to try and now live as trevor would want me to and, and try and be happy like he'd want me to be which is a hard thing to obviously try and focus on what's the one thing you wish people understood that this is real this isn't the flu this is a deadly disease and it could take anybody and at any age and doesn't matter if you're the fittest person or the weakest person it doesn't matter what illnesses you've got really yes if you've got diabetes and asthma and them sort of things you are at more at risk trevor only had diabetes type 2 but he was fit and healthy apart from that i haven't got anything but i still got it i had it bad but i didn't die though but
but my age obviously I was younger but that still doesn't mean anything so it can just take anybody there is no safe place you just have to be respectful and mindful of this anybody could be carrying it and not know they are but they could be spreading it to somebody that's going to die from it a difficult question but what what do you plan to do for your wedding anniversary bought some crystal glasses and had them engraved when we was on our honeymoon we had them made in italy and they're in the cabinet waiting for their first use so i'm going to fill them up with their champagne that we got we've got quite a few bottles we haven't opened from the wedding that people bought us so i'm planning to toast to him with both of the glasses i will still buy him a wedding anniversary card obviously i won't have one but um i'll put out I'll just have to put anything up, I suppose. I don't know. I'm not quite sure how I'm going to deal with it, to be honest, but that's the only thing I know I will do is just I'll raise a toast to him and us in the glasses that we bought them for. Okay, thank you so much for sharing that, uh, what you've gone through. Um, You're very, very brave, very strong.